The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. But the author says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I I believe these three verses provide the clearest, most succinct definition and statement for what a church is. And so I want to answer that question this morning from this passage. And the first place I want us to go to is the very first two words in verse 23. And the passage starts out, let us... All right. Now that seems elementary. That seems elementary to us in 2018. But we've really confused the idea of a church with a place. When ecclesia is used in the New Testament, it always refers to people. Right? It never refers to a building. In fact, church buildings were not even built. They were not even erected until the third century. So we read about the church in Ephesus, and very likely we understand that the church in Ephesus was thousands of people. There wasn't a building that contained thousands of people in Ephesus, and so that church in Ephesus likely existed in hundreds of homes around the city. This theater that we're meeting in this morning, this is not the church. This is the container that holds the contents of the church, which is the people. And so the New Testament uses a bunch of different metaphors to describe the people. New Testament uses a lot of metaphors, but there's three that are primary that we kind of understand who we are as a people, what we're supposed to be about. And I want to give you three of those metaphors this morning, and I think they're important to us. The first metaphor is this. The church is a body. When the New Testament speaks about the church, it often refers to us, the people, as a body. We find it in 1 Corinthians 12. We find it in Ephesians 1. We find it in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. I want to read that verse for you. It says this, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, arm, head, arm, that's right, yeah, legs, head, each one of us, I'm sorry, I'm I'm way ahead of me in in my notes here, just as each one of us has, has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function, my hand does not function in the same way that my head or my feet does, Verse 5, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This, I love this metaphor because it gives us this idea. It helps us not to confuse what the people of God are. And what we are is an organism, right? We are not an organization. We are an organism. And so what this metaphor implies is that the body has life and the body has service and the body involves, listen to me, interdependence. We are interdependent on one another. You're important. You're important. You're important. We're all dependent on on one another. Specific parts have specific functions. We grow into the likeness of Christ and every part is vital. The first metaphor is the church is a body. Now there's a second metaphor that's important when it talks about the people of God. And the second metaphor is this, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Romans chapter seven, 
2 Corinthians chapter 11, and then in Ephesians chapter 5, whenever we go through marriage counseling here in the spring, um, um, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. This is the verse. Husbands, love your wives. just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself. Listen to what Paul says here. Listen, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. How? Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. John, one of my favorite parts of a wedding. These guys are getting married next year in Malibu, and I'm so pumped to be a part of the wedding. Woo-woo! And so one of my favorite parts of the wedding is when your bride is going to be walked down, hopefully, typically by her father. And there are circumstances where that's not always possible. But the father will walk the bride down and he will stop and he will be in between the groom and the bride. And in that moment, I love it. It's it's an emotional moment for me because it's this beautiful picture of Jesus who stands before the father with the bride of Christ, his church. And he looks at the father and he says, I have loved her. I have protected her. I've cared for her. And now I present her to you. It's a beautiful picture of what the church is. It gives us this idea. The metaphor implies that the church is made of people. We love one another. It also gives us this idea that the church bears fruit. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Marriage typically involves this multiplication in one way or another. So this image of the bride of Christ as the church gives us this idea that we love one another. We're fruitful both personally and as a church. Now, there's a third metaphor, and that metaphor is this. The church is a family. The church is a family. Ephesians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 2. Let me read Hebrews chapter 2 to you. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same, listen to what he says, family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and Sisters, let me read that again. So Jesus is not ashamed. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, Jesus is not ashamed to call you a brother and a sister. I was adopted. Some of you guys know this. I was adopted as a young kid. My mom and dad actually picked me up from the hospital. There was a process that was already in place. They knew that I was supposed to be born, and they picked me up from the hospital. They adopted me. I didn't adopt them. They adopted me. And so when they adopted me, they gave me their last name, which happened to be Lawson. When I sat down for dinner at their table, I sat down for a Lawson family dinner. When I sat in a classroom and a teacher called my name, she called me Lawson. When a teammate called my name, he called me Lawson. When Diane and Ronnie picked me up from the hospital, I became a child of someone. Later, I became a sibling of Brittany. I became a Lawson. Listen to me. If you're a Christian this morning, if you're a Christian this morning, you're named after the one who adopted you, which is Christ What that implies is you're now a part of the family of God. And each of us has our quirks. We've got different personalities. But listen to me. I want to be very clear. We are not a dysfunctional family. 
One of the most difficult parts of ministry in my past as I was a student pastor, one of the most difficult parts of ministry was sitting in a room with a mom and a dad who were contemplating whether or not they were going to kick a child out of their home. One of the most difficult parts of ministry was dealing with a situation where a child ran away from home. There's something in our minds we innately know that's not how families are supposed to operate. Listen to me. If you're a Christian this morning, you're a family member. You have all the rights, all the privileges, all the duties of being a part of the family of God. And listen to me. It's not normal to be estranged from your family. You're part of the family of God. Now, let me form the first part of our statement this morning of what a church is. All of these images point us to something fundamental about the church. This may not surprise you, but what is the church? First of all, the church is a people. Keep that in mind. The church is a people. Because when we remember that fundamentally the church is a people, it's not a place. It's not a service provider. It's not an organization. When we understand that, it helps me minimize, listen to me, it helps me minimize some of our preferences about whether or not the church is too old or too young or they provide this or the youth pastor looks like this or the worship leader leads like this. When we understand the church is a people, it helps us suppress some of our preferences. But listen to me, it also helps us understand that the church is not this institution that we just fill out comment cards when we didn't like the sermon, or we fill out a complaint email when we didn't get treated the right way in kids' ministry. Look, the church, when we remember that it is fundamentally a people, what does that mean? People, we're people, we're sinful. We are a sinful people that exists together. We're not an institution. The church is fundamentally a people. Now listen, what do those people do? What do those people do? Look at verse 23. Let us draw near... I'm sorry, let us hold fast, hold fast the confession of our hope. Listen to what the author says here, without wavering, without wavering. What do these people do? Without wavering gives us this word picture. When these two words are put together, without wavering, it gives us this word picture of not leaning back. That's the picture we get when we put those two words together in Greek. It reminds us of Exodus chapter 14. You may not know this story, but the people of God came from bondage in Egypt. He led them out of Egypt, and he was directing them towards the place where he would eventually establish his own nation, where the gospel would go forth. Now listen, as they're leaving their bondage, they're at the shore of the Red Sea. And the people of God, their hearts, look at me, they began to lean back. They began to lean back and they yearned, they longed, believe it or not, to be back in slavery in Egypt. In fact, they tell Moses, for it would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die moving forward in the wilderness. It's a beautiful picture here of what the people of God are to do. Here's a descriptive statement about the, what the church is. Now let's, let's fill in another part of this statement. The church is a people. Here's a second part based on holding fast without wavering. The church is a people who are continually conforming into the image of Christ. Now there's a difference between Christians and non-Christians. 
And that difference is not that non-Christians sin and Christians don't sin. All of us are engaged in sin in one form or another. And hopefully, increasingly, the Christian is walking away from sin, forward into the image of Christ, not leaning back. But the fundamental difference is which side we are going to choose. Are we going to choose God's side or are we going to choose sin's side? Right? When we decide to choose sin side, we lean back into the old lifestyle that we have come out of if we are a believer. But as a Christian, as a church, we are continually leaning into the image of Christ. Now look at me. You may be here this morning and you're very skeptical about a local church. Can I say to you this morning, we are not perfect. We're not we have blemishes, we have sin, we say things we shouldn't say, we act ways we should not act. We are not perfect. But the difference is that we should be progressing. The church should be moving forward into the image of Christ. And so what the church is, is we're not just made up of people who just give this mental assent to, to a doctrinal set of beliefs. That's just not who we are. That's part of it. We're not just the people that commit to like this ritual, religious activity of gathering every Sunday morning. That's a part of who we are. But the church fundamentally is this living organism that's empowered by the Spirit of God not to lean back into our old way of life, but to lean forward into the image of Christ. The church is a people who are continually conforming into the image of Christ. Now, how do we conform into the image of Christ? How does the church lean in to Christ? Verse 23 helps us. Let us hold fast. What does he say? The confession of our hope. The confession of our hope. This is plain and simple, and it may seem extremely obvious to you. The church, the body of Christ, us people, we conform to the image of Christ. How? By listening and obeying the word, the scriptures, the Bible. And here's the principle. Let me add to the definition this morning. The church is a people who are continually conforming to the image of Christ. How? By listening and following the scriptures. By listening and following the scriptures. This is important this morning. Why? Because coming to a building in Burbank, California, downtown, on a Sunday morning, does not, does not mean that you're a part of the church. It doesn't mean you're a part of the church. What it means is that what separates the church from imposters or, or from unbelievers is that the people of God, we listen to the word. We follow the scriptures. We obey what scriptures say. And those who don't, they're not a part of the church. That's very clear from our scriptures. You know what that implies? Listen to me. That implies we teach the scriptures every single week. That implies we open up the scriptures and walk through it every single week. And we have a preference of preaching and teaching and believe it's the way we should. And we call it preaching expositionally, a big word. But basically what it means is that we explain what the scriptures mean. We don't simply tell you what we think. And so a gathering on a Sunday morning is a church if the scriptures are taught faithfully and fully. And listen to me. You may be firmly embedded in Story City Church. There may be a time when you leave Story City, go to another church in our city. There may be a time when you move from Los Angeles and you go to another church in another city. And I hope this will be very instructive to you if that day ever comes. If you walk into a church that's not teaching the scriptures faithfully, they are not a genuine, true church. Listen, listen to me. 
Let me prove that to you from Scripture. And there's a million, but I'm just going to give you a few. That's why Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 were this. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, not like WWE professional pastor baptizing, <laughs> and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. That's why Paul told the church in Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, Colossians 3.16. That's why Paul told the church in Thessalonica, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, when you heard from us, you accepted it. That's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, you hear me quoted all the time. The word is living and active, sharpening the two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why James said in James chapter 1 verse 18 and 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 2 verse 5 and 6, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. That is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Finally, that's why John commended the church in Philadelphia in the book of Revelation chapter 3 verse 8. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. A church finds its life by listening and following the scriptures. That's why we give significant time every single Sunday morning, probably not even enough, and I try to take more every week, by listening to the scriptures every single Sunday morning. Let me just try to be plainly clear. The church broadly, globally, in North America, we've got so many challenges, but our greatest challenge is not can we be relevant. It's not how strategic are we? It's not how unique are we compared to other churches. Our greatest challenge as a church is to continually and faithfully trust and obey God as we see him in the scriptures. Now listen to the next description of the church. Verse 24 says this, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. I think you understand this, but our primary relationship with God has secondary implications. This vertical relationship with God has a horizontal impact on each other and the world. Listen how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. What does he say? You know what he says? Love your what? Neighbor as yourself. So if we're to love God, we're to love each other. You know what that implies? That implies that if we are aligned with God, it means we're aligned with everyone who is also aligned with God. Now look, we demonstrate to the world. We demonstrate to the world that we're aligned with God and with each other, not just by tithing, not just by praying before a meal at lunch this afternoon, not just by memorizing verses, not just by listening to Christian music in your car this afternoon. We demonstrate that we are aligned with God based on how we live with, we forgive, we love a bunch of sinners just like ourselves. 
That's what the church is to do. Sometimes, even in the face of believing, they didn't give us the right to do it, a good reason to do it. So let me add to our definition this morning. The church is a people who are continually conforming into the image of Christ by listening and following the scriptures. Why? How? So that God's glory is seen by each other and the world. If Sunday morning is the only time you see your local body of Christ, you should be concerned about whether or not you're a part of the local body of Christ, whether or not you're fulfilling the definition of what it means to be a part of the church. It has this implication when we know Christ we're not a lone ranger. We live in relationship with other people. If I'm aligned with God, it implies I'm aligned with other people who are also aligned with God. And I cannot be aligned with them if I only see them one time a week. Now let me give you the final description of what the church is. Verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so this word assembling here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, is this word ecclesia, and it reminds us that the church can be more than an assembly. We've already seen that. The church can be more than an assembly, but it cannot be any less. The church cannot be any less than a regular gathering together. So a family in a house that's just doing Bible study does not constitute a church as the New Testament describes for us. Lone Ranger Christians are not biblical Christians. I can't demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I cannot demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit if I'm living on an island. It's not possible. We only demonstrate them by being in relationship to the people of God. And being in relationship with them in such a way that even when they give us a reason not to, we still are reconciled to them. Listen, it's nearly impossible to speak of being a Christian apart from your relationship to the church. Now look, let me contextualize this for our city. When Tyler and I first moved to this city, we spent a significant amount of time. In fact, it was all of our time meeting with people every, nearly every single day. We would ask a specific set of questions. In fact, it got to the point where Tyler, we were like twins. Tyler could finish my statement. I could finish his statement. We knew what we were going to ask. We knew how we were going to explain something. And what we were doing was we were, we were trying to, what we call, exegete our city. We were trying to understand our city. What are the rhythms in our city? What, what motivates our city? What are the idols in our city? So we're trying to understand our city. And let me tell you what we found out. As we're meeting with people nearly every single day, asking the same set of questions, trying to understand our city, we found people who were saying the same thing. And they said it in different ways, but they all meant the same thing. And they would say things like, it's impossible to find community in LA. It's impossible to find significant relationships in this city. Why? Because we buy and sell relationships here. We barter ourselves with each other. In other words, I'm friends with you if I can get something out of this relationship. Friends, it's not how the church operates. Being a part of the church means you help somebody else pull their wagon up the hill, even if you get nothing from it. 
And some of you may have this perspective. You say, why, why would I commit to a deep relationship with this church? I, I, there's nothing for me to get out of it. Well, that may be because your part at this season in your life in this church is that you are an arm and you are helping everyone that God brings in your path. And that's your place in the body of Christ now. What it does not mean is that you have a reason to escape from the body of Christ because you get nothing out of it. I know this. Everything in life mitigates against fellowship with God. Everything. In our modern, everything mitigates. My iPhone, my TV, Radio in my car, the phone call, everything in life mitigates against fellowship with God. Everything in life also mitigates against fellowship with each other. But the church is not a place, it's people. We are God's people in Christ. So let me complete the definition of a church for you. And I'm going to add something at the very beginning. And this is what we're going to give this statement to what the church is this morning. The church is a regular gathering of people who are continually conforming into the image of Christ. How? By listening and following the scriptures. Why? So that God's glory is seen by each other and the world. Why is this important, Pastor Matt? Why is it important? Because sometimes we decide on the relevance of churches and our involvement based on things that are secondary. And I'm saying things that are secondary are not important. They are important, but they're not primary. And the primary question about whether or not you give yourself to a body of believers is whether or not that body of believers is continually pursuing Christ through his word, loving each other and the world around them. And they're committed to each other. And so you've heard me give you the definition from Scripture of what a church is at its essence. And now in the coming weeks, you're going to hear us talk about what a church does. But let me just be clear just for a moment as I close here on what a church is not. And what a church is not, first of all, it's not an organization. It's not a government. I believe wise, spirit-led planning is important. It's vital. This week we do a significant uh, thing this week in the life of our church with about 50 people in our church who are doing wise, spirit-led planning. We begin that process to figure out what 2019 will look like. We are wise in how we plan, but listen to me. At its essence, we are not an organization or a government. What are we? We are an organism, a living being empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. We just don't grab from secular leadership principles. We just don't grab from the, the next best CEO in our country and say, how did he grow GE? How can we grow our church based on what he learned? No, 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 no. We open up the scriptures. We submit ourselves to the will of God, to the Spirit of God, and we say, God, you lead us. We're not an organization. We're not a government. We're an organism. What a church is not. Secondly, we're not a community organizer. We're not a community organizer. Now, if you've been a part of Story City, you know we're actively involved in the life of our city. But can I say to you, we're not a political or social organization. That is not the primary reason why we exist. We believe there is a biblical call, and you've heard me talk about it frequently if you've been around here for a while. There is a practical reality of helping people find Jesus through involvement in our cities for justice, for their good, for God's glory, but it's not the essence of what we do. We don't simply try to fix our culture so that we can have a good city. 
We do those things so that we can point people to the gospel. Third, what we are not. What every local church is not. It's not a spiritual service provider. It's hard. It's hard to, to process in a consumeristic culture. The church is not simply a provider of this menu of options for us. That implies that you have no part in the process of giving. You simply take. Now, do we provide options? We absolutely do. But there's an interdependence to that idea that's absent from this idea of a consumeristic model of church where we say we've got X, Y, and Z for this, for that, for that age, for that age, for that ministry, that, and, and you just choose what's going to be best for you. That's not who we are. We work together. We're interdependent on each other. We're not a spiritual service to provider. Now, let me conclude by saying this. The church is clear on a few things. And as we roll through the fall and we begin to introduce this idea of church membership in our, in our church, let me tell you what we are clear on. You'll hear more about this, especially if you engage with the membership process. But the church is very clear on a few things that are unwavering. The first we're clear on is authority. There was this foundational principle in the 1500s um, during the Protestant Reformation that was known as sola scriptura. And it basically means that the scriptures are the sole authority on faith and doctrine. This is our authority, y'all. I don't have another authority to insert. I'm not wise enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not relevant enough. Tyler, even though he's an incredible musician, uh, we, we just cannot be smart enough, wise enough, relevant enough to try to figure out an outside authority outside of this. Why? We, because we believe this corresponds to reality like nothing else we've found in our world. We're clear on this. The Bible's our authority. That's what we teach. Secondly, what we're clear on, we're clear on doctrine. There are things we call essentials in our church. And every church should have essentials. Things like who is God? Who is Jesus? How does someone come to faith in Christ? What do we believe about the afterlife? There are some essentials that we have. And in those essentials, we say this, we have unity. If you join together as part of our body of Christ, if you're going to become a member of our church, we have unity in those essentials. But then there are other things that we call non-essentials. They're like this. Maybe some of you grew up in a charismatic church and like I speak in tongues or I believe in miracles and healings. We call those non-essential things. Maybe you say, I believe this about the end times. This is how it's going to shake out. We call those non-essentials. And in those, we say we have liberty. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And then we say this. In all things, we have charity. But we are very clear on this. We're very clear on doctrine. Third, the church is clear on leadership. There are various leadership models, church governance models, from congregational rule, elder rule, Baptist tradition, Presbyterian tradition. There are different government ideas about how a church should be run, but at its core, our leadership and who leads the church and how the church should be led, we are clear on that, and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. In fact, we're going to introduce some of those people to you here in the coming weeks. Fourth, what we're clear on, we're clear on the gospel. We're clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. You can't earn Jesus. You can't buy Jesus. You can't attend enough to get Jesus. We are clear on the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ that's woven through every single text in Scripture. We're clear on that. Finally, we're clear on membership. Who is a member of a local church? You're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks. Now, there are some things that are debatable, and I'm going to be done. You're like, yeah, but, yeah, but, 
What about, what about how we organize a church? Again, there's Presbyterian models. There's all these models of governance. We have a specific model that we have here in our church, and that's the way we lead forward. There's some debatable matters here. How are churches led? What time do we meet? Do we use haze during the, 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 the music session? We quit using haze, by the way, when the alarm went off. But it wasn't because we believed it was a biblical conviction. We believed it was a preference, and we didn't want the alarm go off, so you had to go outside, all right? That's, there's some debatable matters there. How long is the sermon? You're like, it should be shorter, Pastor, all right? Do you have age-graded ministry? Should kids go out of the service? Should they all be in the service? The style of music, is it a choir? Is it an organ? Is it just an acoustic guitar? Are there drums involved? The end times theology, what about the death penalty? Should we take up arms? There are debatable matters. But there are things that are essential that we are clear on. Now, I want to remind you what a church is. A church... It's a regular gathering of people who are continually conforming into the image of Christ. How? By listening and following the scriptures. Why? So that God's glory is seen by each other and the world. Can I tell you what I'm seeing at Story City Church? I know I'm biased. I know you expect me to say things that I'm about to say. But can I tell you what I'm seeing? I'm seeing this definition play itself out. I'm seeing people in our church who recognize needs, spiritual needs, family needs, marriage needs, who are saying, I can help here. And if you allow me to step in, I, I, I'm this part of the body that can, that can lift you up. I'm seeing financial needs. I'm seeing financial needs, and, and people in our church are saying, well, this is the stage of life I'm in, and I don't really have a lot, but, but I'm this is my part. I want to lift you up. I watch social media and I see people eating together. I see people um, going on vacation together. I see people in community together. I'm seeing this definition in our church. And I'm telling you, it's a beautiful thing to watch as a pastor. And so we want to set the stage. We're a very young church in our city. and God's doing incredible things. But we want you to know. You're like, I'm trying to figure out what kind of church am I going to be a part of. You want to be very clear on what the church is and where we are going. And that's what this series is all about. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for today. God, your word is good. It's true. God, your kindness leads us to repentance. Lord, I'm confident in this room there are many different ideas of what the church is, God. And God, so I pray in this process, we're all on a journey. I pray that you would massage our hearts by the spirit of the living God and give us the ability to be patient and kind and generous and forgiving and loving with one another as we're all trying to figure out where we stand on these things. But God, give us real clarity as a church. Give us real clarity as a church of who we are what we do, what we are about, who our leaders are, where we're going as a church. Why, God? Because it matters. We're your pride. We're your family. We're your body. So Jesus, may you find us faithful over the next few weeks to explore this together. And we love you. God, thank you. At 17 years old, you called me a child of God. I'm a part of your family. God, I pray that there are people in this room over the coming weeks and years that would, could also be said the same thing about them. They hear the gospel. Their life is changed. 
and they become a child of God too. May you find us faithful to be that family you've asked us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.